I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Good evening and welcome to Little Atoms, the show about ideas with me, Neil Denny, and with Padre Greedy. Each episode of Little Atoms features a guest from the worlds of science, journalism, politics, academia, human rights or the arts in conversation. Little Atoms bases itself around the ideas of the Enlightenment. Things like secular humanism, free inquiry, freedom of expression, and the scientific method. Although we're just as likely to find ourselves talking about their antithesis, things like superstition, religious fundamentalism, censorship, and conspiracy theory. Our guests bring ideas that are challenging, sometimes controversial, often polemical, but always interesting. And our guest on this week's show was Professor Noam Chomsky. Noam Chomsky has been described as the world's greatest public intellectual. Born in 1928 in Philadelphia, 
Chomsky began his academic career as a young linguistics professor at MIT in the 1950s. His theory of transformational grammar suggests that the capability to form structured language is innate to the human mind. However, Chomsky first came to the general public's attention for his outspoken opposition to the Vietnam War. For more than 40 years, he has been the Academy's loudest and most consistent critic of US policies at home and abroad. Professor Chomsky has written more than 40 books, including American Power and the New Mandarins, Manufacturing Consent, Hegemony or Survival, Deterring Democracy and Failed States. And he continues to lecture frequently, as prolific a provocateur as ever. Professor Chomsky, I'm hoping you're there. Yes, I'm here. Hello, but it's, it's an honour to speak to you. Thank you. At the moment, a lot of people in in, um, in Europe and I suppose around the world seeing America as emerging from something of a dark period into a bright new future with the um, with the election of President Obama. Um, he's he's presented in the media over here almost in messianic terms, and um, now he's he's been in power for uh, uh, just over a hundred days, I think it is. I'd like to know how you think it's going. It's going about the way any rational person would have expected. Uh, the Bush administration, for in particular the first term of Bush, was completely off the spectrum. Mm-hmm. I mean, the spectrum of politics is pretty narrow, uh, but they were just off it. I mean, they were the aggressiveness, you know, the arrogance, uh, the brazen contempt, uh, even for uh, allies, uh, simply antagonized the world along with the uh, aggressiveness of action and so on. And uh, in fact, uh, U.S. prestige in the world sank to its lowest point since it's ever been measured. So you could, it was perfectly predictable that the next candidate would try to move back towards the center uh, to be accommodating, uh, friendly, uh, and so on. And that's pretty much what Obama's doing. Actually, all of this brings to mind a, uh, a comment about uh, the so-called special relationship between Britain and the United States uh, back in 1962, at the time of the missile crisis, Cuban Missile Crisis, uh, when the fate of Europe was really at stake, mm-hmm. uh, close to destruction, uh, the United the Washington was keeping its plans and decisions secret. It was not even informing Britain. Uh, Macmillan had to learn about it through British intelligence. He was never informed, and a high senior advisor of the Kennedy administration in internal discussion said that uh, Britain will act as our lieutenant. The fashionable word is partner. Uh, Britain likes to hear the fashionable word, uh, but the real word is lieutenant. Now, Bush uh, simply told Britain and everyone else, you're our lieutenants. Uh, Obama tells them publicly, you're our partners. We really welcome you. But I'm pretty sure the uh, internal word is the same as it was under the Kennedy administration. So, yes, there's a change in rhetoric, a change in style. Uh, Not very much to point to in the way of substance, but uh, some change back towards the position of a more or less normal centrist Democrat, which is what one should have expected. You've written that um, before the election and running up to the election that, that you know Obama, as you, as you said, didn't have a lot of substance, and and he was almost a, you know the candidate that had been invented by by PR in that you know he was a blank slate. The, we've got these sort of vague terms, yes we can, and and hope and 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 things. So, I mean, do you, do you think that's still the case? Yeah, in fact, as you may know, the 
the advertising industry gives an award every year to the best marketing campaign of the year. And in 2008, they gave it to the Obama campaign. Mm -hmm. And executives were euphoric. Uh, you can read them quoted in the business press, like the Financial Times. They said, we've been marketing candidates like commodities ever since Reagan, and this is the best we've ever done. It's going to change the atmosphere of corporate boardrooms. Now there's going to be a new style and so on. So sure, it was a marketing campaign, and it was pretty successful. And you can see it in the uh, popular mood. So you know, seven or eight months ago, about, I think, 80% of the population believed the country is going in the wrong direction. So naturally, every candidate, including McCain, was marketed as being the candidate of change and hope. And just this week, uh, the latest polls came out, and it turns out that the population is sort of split. It's almost half and half as to the way, whether the country's going in the right direction. So they feel better about things. It's a good marketing campaign. A lot of people here in um, in Europe, Professor Chomsky, have been quite impressed by by noises. Um, President Obama has been making noises about about the U.S. taking a, a lead on combating global warming, particularly, and on, on nuclear proliferation. Is is this a message that perhaps Europeans are a bit more open to? Is this again something we're being sold? Well, again, the Bush administration was off the spectrum, so the population of the United States during the Bush years was strongly in favor of strong action on global warming. In fact, the Kyoto Protocol was so popular in the United States that a majority of Bush voters in 2004 believed that he was in favor of it. That was the popular attitude. So now Obama is going closer to what had been the popular position all along, as you would expect when he's retreating for the more extreme Bush positions. And the same is true on nuclear proliferation. So the Bush administration, uh, with its uh, you know the extreme uh, arrogance and contempt, uh, essentially destroyed the uh, year 2005 uh, regular uh, review of uh, uh, the nonproliferation treaty and uh, its uh, nuclear issues. They essentially destroyed it. They said, we're not going to take part. Well, Obama's going back more towards uh, what the Clinton position was. Yeah, we'll take part. And... Uh, we will take actions that are uh, pretty sensible. In fact, uh, I'm in favor of them. I think that uh, the U.S. should sign the Comprehensive Test Ban Treaty, should uh, uh, reduce uh, nuclear weapons, should act to reduce proliferation. Uh, I wish it would do it more seriously. So to take a current crucial example, a considerable majority of Americans uh, in the Middle East are in favor of establishing a nuclear weapons-free zone, which would include Iran, uh, Israel, uh, any American forces deployed there or British forces. And that's a very sensible position. It can be accompanied by strong verification, but it's not on the agenda. But are we looking at slightly, um, I think, again, looking at the wave of enthusiasm for Obama, are we looking at a, a, a different take on the idea of American exceptionalism and moral leadership as perhaps a positive thing after the, I suppose, the nadir of the Bush years? Well, actually, that was, see, that's one respect in Bush in which Bush was not off the spectrum. The idea of American exceptionalism and uh, American moral leadership, uh, that goes back to the 1780s, 
And in fact, they took it over from Britain. Britain had the same ideology, this kind of providentialist ideology. You know, God has a plan for the world, and we are the agents of carrying out his mission. Now, that was a very uh, popular British concept. Uh, the American colonies took it over. If you go back to that time, there was a lot of internal debate about what does the victory of the colonists mean about God's mission. It was uh, discussed in Britain. It was discussed here. And that simply continues. Uh, Obama's a little less uh, extreme about it than some, but uh, basically hasn't changed. I mean, that's why you have this notion in uh, uh, American ideology and elsewhere, too, of what's called Wilsonian idealism. You know, there's supposed to be a notion of Wilson, the great idealist, who was, in fact, quite openly saying, "I'm carrying out, we're carrying out God's mission." Well, what's Wilsonian idealism? I mean, Wilson was the most uh, interventionist uh, president uh, in American history up till that point. He carried out brutal, vicious interventions, which practically destroyed what was left of Haiti and a lot of the Dominican Republic and others. Uh, he instituted at home the worst repressive period in American history is Red Scare. Uh, but uh, 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 he, he did have a notion of self-determination, but it was very qualified. Self-determination for the uh, advanced people, like white Westerners, uh, but not for the colonies. Uh, for the colonies, his position was that the concerns and interests of the colonizing power had to have equal status to those of the people who, uh, about whom we talk self-determination. It was a very qualified notion. But nevertheless, the concept of Wilsonian idealism remains in the doctrinal system, including scholarship. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, this rarely changes. I mean, if you look at the history, it's almost always that way. So is there any case, in, in your view, where American intervention can be, can be positive and, and should be encouraged and talk particularly about military intervention here, I suppose. Well, it depends what you mean by intervention. Uh, violent intervention has mm-hmm. a very heavy burden of proof to bear. And if you look at the history, uh, it's uh, not a very glorious uh, history. In fact, it's an awful history. Uh, the concept of uh, humanitarian intervention has, goes back centuries, and it's almost always been a disaster, except for those who intervened. And I, while you can't say it can never have a benevolent effect, sometimes it does, uh, it's, uh, it, there is a heavy burden of proof. In fact, if you look over the past post-war period, post-Second World War period, there's, there's only two striking examples that I can think of where forceful intervention uh, had a very uh, significant uh, positive uh, humanitarian effect. Uh, one was in 1971 when India invaded East Pakistan and put an end to horrible atrocities in what became Bangladesh. And the other was in uh, uh, 78, 79, when Vietnam invaded Cambodia and put an end to Pol Pot's atrocities uh, just at the point where they were peaking. The worst atrocities were in 78, uh, and Vietnam invasion put an end to it. Okay, so there are two cases which had significant positive effects But they don't enter into the canon of discussion of humanitarian intervention uh, for two reasons. One, they were carried out by the wrong people, them, not us. And second, the U.S. was bitterly opposed to them in both cases. 
I mean, in the case of India, you know, the United States practically threatened war, imposed sanctions, sent an aircraft carrier into the Bay of Bengal, and so on. In the case of Vietnam, the U.S. was outraged, uh, supported a Chinese invasion to punish the uh, the Vietnamese for daring to put an end to Pol Pot's atrocities, and in fact, along with Britain, immediately turned to support for the Khmer Rouge. So therefore, those two instances don't count. Uh, but it's hard to think of anything like them. Um, there are a few other cases where you can say the outcome was benevolent, whether intended or not. But any use of force carries a very high burden of proof. Now, that's been reiterated over and over again by the World Court ever since the 1940s. Uh, in 2005, I think it was, there was a high-level, 2004 maybe, there was a high-level UN commission uh, established to discuss to consider the question of what's called responsibility to protect. That is uh, the idea that it's legitimate to intervene in a society to protect people who are really under threat. Uh, it was a, a very respected Western figures that were there, like uh, Brent Scowcroft, uh, George Bush's uh, national security advisor, uh, Gareth Evans, a former Australian prime minister, and others. And they concluded with a careful, I think reasoned, and in my view, accurate uh, conclusion that, yes, there may be a responsibility to protect, but it must be left in the hands of the Security Council of the United Nations. Uh, they said they, they, What they said is that there should be no change in uh, Article 51, that's the exception to the use of force, as you can use it in self-defense, said there should be no change to this. It should be sustained as is, because if a responsibility to protect is handed over to states, it'll just be an excuse for aggression. Mm. It's the same conclusion the World Court reached back in the 1940s, and which the non-aligned countries overwhelmingly support. And, I, and it was that it was then endorsed by the general, full General Assembly. And that seems to me correct. So yes, there's a makes sense to talk about the responsibility to protect, but it should not be left in the hands of uh, violent, aggressive powers. We're about halfway through the show, so we'll, we'll move on. You're listening to Little Atoms, and we're talking to Professor Noam Chomsky. One of your key works was manufacturing consent, and um, it had the like a sort of paraphrase the, the the thesis of the um, book and and the the documentary that came out. It was this this idea that mainstream media quite gently coerces the public into into quite a narrow uh, you know there's a, there's a narrow range of views that are sort of acceptable. Dissenting voices are, are sidelined. We've recently seen, you know, the, the rise of the internet, and one one of the one of the, the interesting things, again going back to Obama, was was the it sort of presented as as the use of a sort of quite grassroots activism played quite a part in the election. And I just I I wonder what you, what your opinion is of you know whether whether the internet itself is, uh, has changed the impact of of you know popular activism. Oh yeah, the um, the internet has positive and negative features. I mean, mm -hmm. wonderful thing it was developed. It's, one of the great, great, great contributions of the state sector in the United States to uh, the modern economy. Of course, it all comes out of the state sector for decades. Uh, but yes, I'm very glad it's there. And it is used for organizing. Uh, Obama didn't invent this. No, so the, the act, like say, take, say, the, uh, the global justice movement, or in fact, any popular movement. By now, most organizing is over the Internet. And Obama used the Internet effectively. Uh, just as John F. Kennedy had used television effectively to uh, uh, gain a uh, what's sometimes called Obama's army, a large number of uh, supporters. 
But then the question is, but notice that that was not his main funding, contrary to illusion. The concentration of funding came from the financial institutions. And uh, as one would expect, and as in the past, uh, the policies of the administration very much reflect the funders. Uh, the policies are, in effect, designed by the financial institution. Even centrist economists are criticizing that. Uh, now, the question is, what happens to Obama's army now that they're mobilized? Well, there's a totalitarian image and a democratic image, and the question is, which wins? The position of the campaign and the media is the totalitarian conception. They say the army's out there. It's waiting to get instructions from the leader as to what to do to advance what's called brand Obama, you know, Obama's brand. They have to advance it. Wait until they tell you which doorbells to push on what issue, and you do it. That's one conception, which is expressed openly by the campaign managers and uh, supported by the media. There's another conception, the democratic conception, is that this army will say, we're going to get together and decide on what policies ought to be, and we're going to compel you, our representative, to follow those policies or else we'll get rid of you. Well, that may be the popular conception, but you're not going to find much resonance for it in uh, uh, mainstream uh, uh, circles, the media or anything else. But it could be a popular conception, and if so, the U.S. could move uh, in the direction of uh, uh, more functioning democracy, in which the population doesn't just take orders, but in fact initiates programs. Let's look at, um, you, you, know, you mentioned that there are good and bad sides to the Internet, and one of the things that we often talk about on this show is one of the things the Internet has seen is, 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 is the rise of the sort of conspiracy theory and particularly the sort of 9-11 truth movement, and this is something that you've been quite robust in in criticism of yourself. I mean, do, let's talk about, do you think this, these sort of things have quite a malign influence on the, the perception of activism itself? Oh, yeah. I, my suspicion is that uh, the Bush administration was very pleased with the rise of the 9-11 movement uh, because it, it, whatever one thinks about it, I don't think much, but whatever one thinks about it, even if you believe in it, it its effect was very clear. It diverted people away from activism uh, on serious issues. So uh, if you're involved, if you're spending your life uh, trying to figure out whether there was uh, you know, thermite in Building 7 and so on, you're not uh, protesting uh, the crimes of the administration. Mm -hmm. In fact, we even have a little bit of internal evidence about this. Uh, a couple of years ago, some material was released about the uh, proposals by a Pentagon Review Committee for declassification of information. And one of their proposals was that the administration should periodically release information relating to the Kennedy assassination, because that will keep, you know, the sort of those who are claiming it was a government conspiracy, it'll keep them engaged keep them running on this wild goose chase, and they won't be asking questions and asking for material on things we'd rather keep secret. And I wouldn't be surprised if there's the same reasoning in the administration on this. That's clearly it's a fact. And, uh, and it's true, as you said, that the, the Internet is a very effective cult generator. That's one of its, not just this, but other things. I mean, you and I could start a cult uh, by just, uh, uh, suppose we decided that uh, uh, Tony Blair is uh, trying to poison the world's water. 
you could put something up saying, you know, out in my backyard, I, I saw people from the Labor Party, uh, you know, poisoning um, the pipes, and somebody else will say, oh yeah, I saw that too, and pretty soon you have a big conspiracy going, you big, big, fine bits and pieces of uh, factoids that bolster it, and like other cults, it'll be self-generating and protected. We, we should definitely do that. That's, it's, it's, it's a good <laughs> idea. Where does this impulse come from to to believe this stuff? Because it's it's you know it just where does it come quite, from? Yeah, I think pretty. That's, it's pretty easy to understand. I mean, where did support for Nazism come from in Germany? Look, I mean, Germany was the most civilized country in the world in the 1920s. It was the peak of Western civilization. The sciences, uh, the arts. Uh, uh, literature it was the model of democracy. You know, a couple of years later, it was the depths of barbarism. Uh, we know what happened. Uh, there were a large number of people who were very disillusioned. Uh, things were happening to them that they didn't understand. Uh, they're, I'm a decent person, but my life is being destroyed. Somebody must be doing it. It can't be me because I'm working hard. I'm a, you know, honest person. Uh, so something must be happening from the outside that's doing this to me. And Nazi propaganda identified it. Now it's the Jews, uh, the Bolsheviks. Okay, that gives an answer. And uh, you can, uh, uh, people can uh, sort of organize, uh, give an interpretation of the oppression in their lives on the basis of this conspiracy. And we know what happened in Germany. And that can happen elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know about England, but if you listen to talk radio in the United States, which is all taken over by the ultra-right. It's full of ideas like this. I mean, here we are, hard-working, uh, Christian, you know, honest uh, uh, Americans, white Americans, and look what's happening to our lives. Uh, for 30 years, our real uh, wages have stagnated or declined. Uh, benefits have declined. Working hours have gone up. Uh, now, you know, I lost my job and my home. Why is this happening to me? Well, you know, it's, uh, it's got to be somebody. Uh, their line is it's, uh, you know, the rich liberals who own Wall Street and uh, own the government and have contempt for us ordinary people, uh, what are called the flyby people. You know, they want to give everything away to gays and illegal immigrants. And meanwhile, us, the people between the two coasts, uh, they have only contempt for us. Well, that's an appealing message. And it has a unpleasant resemblance to the late Weimar Republic, uh, unfortunately, and uh, I wouldn't discount it. Uh, so I think I think it is easy to understand conspiracy theories. I mean, the same with the 9-11 conspiracy. I mean, look what's happening to us and what's happening to the world. Uh, some bad people must have done it. And there's plenty of uh, facts that you can point to that show, yeah, they're bad people, they're doing bad things, so why shouldn't they have... Uh, uh, you know, blown up the World Trade Center. Uh, I mean, they're kind of, you know, elementary flaws in the theory. So if they did blow up the World Trade Center because they wanted to invade Iraq, why did they blame it on Saudis and not Iraqis? Uh, so you have to make some complicated story about that. Uh, but that's uh, uh, typical of, uh, you know, kind of, I hate to use the word because they're nice people, but what, what amount to cults? It's a um, perfect place to end it on. We're unfortunately out of time. It's been an ab- absolute pleasure speaking to you. So thank you very much for, um, for agreeing to speak to us today, Professor Chomsky. Okay, good to talk to you. Yeah.
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. The secret to summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil, clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Its signature scent of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com.